Is this what it feels like to feel old when I said TV? <laughs> yeah. Am I the old one on this on this podcast? No. Now. I feel ancient. I'm just I'm young at heart. <laughs> everybody and welcome back to the human element kara's podcast focused on finding ways to inject humanity and insight into modern marketing today we have kara lewis chief investment officer jennifer hungebuehler evp head of local and audio investment and dave cedarbaum evp head of national video to discuss the road to upfronts this year hi all thanks for joining hello thanks for having hello. us hi so let's let's start with an easy one tell us a bit about your roles and how they evolved over the past year over the past year, my role has significantly changed. I'm loving it with, I think, over 90 days at this point. But for the past few years, I had shared overseeing video investment with Dave, and then I moved into overseeing all publisher direct across out-of-home video, local, audio, DRTV, and then moving into this new role, which is chief investment officer not only overseeing all the channels and investment, but other parts that play into investment like partnerships and economic empowerment, but loving the role. While technically my my title has remained static, what I will say is that the role has certainly evolved and changed with with the times. I think that as we all know, know, consumer viewership patterns have changed, client expectations have changed, and things have just become more complicated as, as things expand beyond what was once called activation and now leads into investment, right? So it's about trying to include those strategic thinkings at the beginning and end of every conversation we have, delivering on on business outcomes, seeing how measurement and viewership patterns and changes have affected the marketplace. So an ever-changing role, but I think that's what keeps it exciting. and, And that's definitely part of why I love it so much. I would have to second everything that David said from a local perspective. It's really the exact same. We are going through this total evolution. I think what's exciting for us and what's kind of changing right now is having a seat at the upfront table. This isn't something that local traditionally has had historically. So being invited to the meeting, sitting in, being a part of the strategic conversations, trying to figure out how we can collaborate, work together more efficiently. How can we craft partnerships that are going to benefit our client? So I think that's one thing that's changed. And then the second thing that's really evolving is, you know, moving into the platforms and the programmatic space and being trained on buying programmatically when we've lived in this linear world for so long. It's very exciting and it's challenging. So a lot of exciting stuff, I think, uh, ahead for us. So the team has been leading an internal series called Road to the Upfronts. I'm going to start with you, Kara. Can you summarize the work that the team is doing around this? I love Road to the Upfronts and talked about it today at our at our Densu Summit, but essentially super proud of the series that we created. And it's definitely differentiating from years past. We created a series that's seven sessions long, covering off and really diving deep into topics rather than glossing them over and presenting them on a slide. We dug deep into topics around diversity and inclusion and going beyond the 30 and how can you actually support businesses that are diverse owned outside of just your 32nd unit. We talked about partners into platforms. We talked about temples, which actually we had never truly done a huge meeting around temples and what they mean today because they definitely have changed over time. 
But I think the one thing that I'm most proud of is really bringing Jen and Dave's teams together to think about this around what is happening in the national space is happening in the local space or vice versa. It might look a little bit different because it's happening direct with a vendor or direct with a station or a market, but overall, what is happening really needs to be joined together. And I, I love that part of it. And my second piece that I truly love about the road to the upfront is that we essentially are bringing our team front and center to be presenting across our client base. Our clients only see those that work on their teams every day. And at Dentsu, we have talent on every single team. And I'm super proud to get that all of our employees in front of our clients because today they could work on Caesar's playbook, but tomorrow they could work on GM. And I think they all really need to see all of the amazing leadership that we have at Dentsu. Yeah, I love that. I think that that's exactly right, right? The fluid talent. So let's lean into some of those shifts that we're seeing. Let's just start from a very simple top trend. What have been the shifts in consumer trends that are impacting the road to upfronts this year? Consumer trends vary so much when you think about, are we talking about viewership patterns? Are we talking about how consumers interact with, with content or how they're actually going to market and transacting for their own personal life from an e-commerce perspective? So I think that it's recognizing that consumers are in control, something that Kara has said for, for years, right? So what we need to do is continue to future-proof ourselves and our clients to make sure that we're recognizing how people are most consuming their content, where are they doing their transactions and making sure that we are formulating our strategies against those consumers specifically. So I think that the pandemic has proved that it's an on-demand world where people are, are really focused on, on what they want, when they want it. So we have to use our, our audience first approach and our screen agnostic approach to make sure that we are hitting the right people at the right time with the right message, however they're consuming content. So it's been an evolution, something that we've been on for years. We're getting better and better at it with each day. And I think as long as we keep pushing ourselves to future-proof ourselves, we're headed in the right direction. So to follow up with that, Dave and Kara, you've been on plenty of interviews recently around the transparency and measurement for brands and where that shift has been. So can you kind of give a little bit of insight to our audience on that? I mean, I can jump in in terms of the measurement piece and how we're, we're making making headway with transparency. But overall, measurements at probably the deepest inflection point it's ever been at. And we really need to find for our clients and dig deep for our clients what the future of measurement is. And we've done that by holding a series of meetings with all of the vendors that say they are the future of measurement and really actually narrowing it down to a set that we think is worthy to test at the moment. Not saying some of the other companies aren't there in the future, but they're just not ready to do it yet. And we also did it across local and national. It's important that we have both because local is just as important as national and making sure that we're measuring in the right way and then getting closer to the client. And I think with transparency, obviously there's a lot of talk about transparent measurement and privacy. And I think as we you know move forward, like we just did with NBC Universal and matching IDs in a privacy safe way, we can actually work around what's happening in measurement and get more down to a one-to-one -one level to make our buys more effective against the audiences we're trying to reach. Jennifer, so you mentioned that local has a seat at the table this year. What has been the biggest impact in that shift? Well, from a personal perspective, my knowledge growth has been exponential just 
getting a peek behind the curtain of what really goes on behind the upfronts and all of the work that goes on behind the scenes. It's tremendous, not to mention the collaboration across multiple stakeholders to bring all of this money together across an entire client portfolio. It's really been exciting to watch because the way local operates is completely different. And what's been unique is we've just had our first holding company meeting with one of the networks to see if there was an opportunity for us to work together. And, and it was interesting and it was hard and it wasn't an easy, smooth, straight line and things we wanted. They said, no, it wasn't even open for a discussion and it, it was challenging. And so, you know, it's us having to take a step back and say, okay, we can't get what we want. We need to jig and jag to figure out how we can bring this together to find that incremental value. So I think that this is going to be a year of trial and error. It's like the beginning and we'll probably set some frameworks and we might have some successes and we might have some failures, but we're really not going to know until we try it. So it's asking a lot of questions and it's very informative at this point, but it's, it's fun. Like I'm, it's really exciting and I'm just very proud to be a part of it. Yeah, and the only thing that I would add to that is, Jen said it perfectly with the one word collaboration. It's about discussing what we want, how we can work together in an open and honest dialogue. And the good thing is that Jen and I have known each other quite well for, for some time. So we just talk about what do we want to put on the table for the partners? And, and to Jen's point, I was in the same meeting where they said no. Okay, well, how can we pivot and adjust that to, to reinforce? Well, maybe no is not the answer that we wanted to hear right now. Why don't we try to reimagine the conversation or think about things differently. So as much as we're pushing ourselves, we're pushing our partners to think differently as well. And as we look at full holistic video, which is a statement that we always make, it's also between teams and de between departments, breaking down those silos and pushing our partners to think differently. So they might say no because they're uncomfortable and they're not used to doing things that way. But just as Jen said, that some of the uncomfortability is because it's new, it doesn't mean that it's wrong. So we just need to push ourselves and our clients. And I think that collaboration is the case. And can I also just add to that? I also feel that the networks are trying to find their way through this as well, because it's not mainstream. So even as we were having the conversations with them, they were, okay, we could try this, or we'll open to this, or we'll have to take this back because this is new. There isn't a, a roadmap that's already created. We're sort of creating it as we drive down the road. But why local now? Like, what is the emphasis on that? Has it, is there a shift in where we're seeing performance metrics or where brands want to be or a better resonance with consumers? I mean, I can give my point of view from what I'm seeing is this past year, well, let's take it back a step. When the pandemic hit, there was a lot of consolidation that was happening in a lot of places. And there was a lot of streamlining that was going on. There's been a lot of consolidations and mergers at the network level, where now suddenly they're looking to try to find new revenue streams, new ways to streamline their business model. And a lot of that is, why do we have two people doing the same job? We should be doing this together and leverage all of our properties to bring a better value proposition. And likewise for us. So, I mean, we've sort of done a lot of the same things that they've done there. I think what's very interesting for the first time I've ever seen is particularly around sports and the way sports were being sold at the network level. It was, you have to buy this and these two extra pieces, or you can't buy your main thing you want to buy. 
And they started to do this at the network level. And I guess they've done this for a long time. And now that same process is trickling down to local. So a lot of the practices that have been happening nationally are now being carried to local. So I call Dave all the time. I'm like, is this happening? Like, is this how this works? And then he sort of says, this is how we get around it and the things that we have to do. But that was like the first time I saw it. And then, of course, with like the digital, the OTT, CTV, the geo-targeting, everybody can sell everything now. So it is all very commingled. And as you know, even at our own agency, we have lots of people buying OTT, CTV. And so the opportunity is there. It's just trying to figure out what everybody's swim lane is right now. That's my POV. I think it's also about the collaboration across teams. Like Jen said, a lot of people doing the same thing. And... While it's not necessarily allowing someone to concentrate on buying local and national for the same person because they are bought differently and you do need those subject matter experts, we do also need to bring the conversations together and inform each other more often because the same conversation is happening at a local level or a national level. And to be honest with you, same things happening in out-of-home digital that is happening in streaming audio or just digital and programmatic. And we all basically need to be collaborating because we can be stronger when we collaborate yeah. together. Exactly. I mean, they, they both not surprisingly said it perfectly and it's about maximizing our leverage to the marketplace and bringing the full density cloud with everything that we have in our arsenal together. And I think it just makes the most sense for where we want to go as a company. That's great. And then Jen, what about audio? What has been some of the biggest shifts that we'll see leaning into upfronts? From an audio perspective, well, we're still in a recovery phase. I mean, coming out of the pandemic, audio was hit very hard. Obviously, people are just now starting to commute again, return to office. So in-car listening was where the greatest amount of listenership was happening, and it really was impacted. So it's slowly getting back to where it was pre-pandemic level. I think what's um, changing now is we are continuing to move dollars into digital audio. Like we do see that that is a very huge growing area. Podcasting is growing. Buying these channels programmatically is growing. So I think that audio is in sort of its golden age and it, it is in a renaissance. It is kind of becoming fresh and new again with a lot of the ideation. So, I mean, personally, we are seeing a lot of our clients kind of turn around and say, wait, this, it, we are seeing good returns through our modeling in audio and we should be investing more. And I think that it is forcing some of the bigger partners to innovate in this space more so that they can you know, improve their revenue margins as well. Kara, what has been the biggest piece of advice you've been giving clients today around Temple events? You know, I, I worked on a client back when we won it several years ago that had a lot of money scooped up in temples in multi-years. And over the years, we, we, we cut back on those multi-year deals and we pressure tested and said, we don't have the amount of money we've had in the past. And we don't want the amount of units we want in the past. And we'll get the amount of units that we had in the past with the under delivery because you overestimate. And so we've really been able to pressure the system to change the spend behind an overall temple. And I think we just have to, while we might hear no, and Jen and Dave were just hearing no on the local front, we have to stay true to what we need and stick behind it and just push and push and push. And I, that's what I really tell clients is, you know, there's a point when you need it 
and you, you know, want it as a part of your buy because your consumer might be there. It feeds to your objectives and your strategies and your branding. But there's a point when you don't want to overpay and you can find that audience somewhere else. And by using audiences, and if that client is in use, using audience, we know we can find that audience somewhere else. So it's really about being in the temple at the right place at the right time and not really forcing something that can, can actually change and should change. Dave, anything? I would just add that we really want to reinforce that people need to, to think differently and just not focus on how they've traditionally looked at those temples as singular events that are giant reach drivers. What are they, how are they fitting into the overall objectives? What areas can we move beyond just buying 30 seconds behind into the other platforms to truly make it transformative and, and moving the needle forward to make it worth some of that, that, that high investment out-of-pocket cost that it's worthwhile. So I think that the, the presentation that we had was, was very well received, was was a challenging one to put together because as Kara started at the beginning, it was something different that we hadn't talked about before in the same way that we are now. And I give credit to, to everyone involved for putting such a, a comprehensive and really thoughtful outlook and approach on, on how to look at it. And it, it, it was received well because it, it was well thought out. What have been the biggest advancements in data-led investment today? First and foremost, it is something that has been talked about for a long time. And we, we at Denzu know that, that we feel that we are better equipped than anyone to, to actually transact in the marketplace. And I think that that evolution has come to, to really a tipping point where we'll see more of that truly taking place, that it's not simply just using those, that audience knowledge from an, a strategic and planning perspective at the beginning, we need to carry it through to activation and actual transactions. So we're actually making informed decisions, but then interacting with the marketplace based off those strategic audiences that, that we have. And then as Jen alluded to, as we move more things into platforms, we can truly carry that through across the entire marketplace, managing frequency, truly optimizing against those audiences and various different platforms. So I think that we will see more transactions done this year than ever before, and then more done next year than this year. Um, so we're really shifting away from that broad-based demographic approach and truly making sure that we're maximizing each dollar we spend to focus on those, those truly high-value strategic targets. I think we've made one, one step in the last week in a, an amazing direction in terms of taking our audiences, which I would say... M1 is the strongest audience base out there, being able to match them to a network ID, basically, or a network company ID, and then to be able to transact and guarantee against it. If you want to get any more effective, I don't think you can. And we can actually bring our clients' first-party data into that to make it even more high fidelity in terms of finding our audiences where they're consuming the content that we want to reach them at. So making strides, hopefully more announcements to come, but I think, you know, in the use of data measurement, getting stronger against the consumer and more one-to-one, -one, I think you can't get any further than that. Dentsu has been at the forefront of really saying and making an impact on DNI and partnerships especially with economic empowerment and 30-day payment term. How, how are we pushing and continuing to push in the world of investment for each of your particular categories? I mean, I think within DE&I overall, having Mark Prince and the economic empowerment unit 
and talking about how to do that beyond a 30, creating content like Jennifer did and led for more than that, Lucia Peppers. I think just taking in, again, that collaborative effort across the network between content and creating content, between the media channel that we can invest it in, probably pushing it out even further if we wanted to continue to elevate the content that we're already creating. And then also just supporting those diverse companies in multiple different ways brings them scale that they need to grow. I think we're, we're doing that by being collaborative across all the different channels and teams that can play into overall diversity. Where has the industry made the most progress this past year? I'll go first. I'm, I'll just look at this through a local lens. I mean, shockingly, we are just now moving to impressions and impression-based buying. And Dentsu, we've been doing it for the last five years, and we were definitely a leader in the space because we saw that we were not going to be able to continue to transact on GRPs. We saw how the fragmentation was starting, and impressions are so important. And the fact that Nielsen and other measurement sources are now recognizing that the key metric should be impressions, and they're starting to make that their main piece of measurement and their main communication piece, it is shocking how long and how hard that was to actually bring into the marketplace. So I'm happy that it's finally here and it's becoming mainstream. For me, that's like a big advancement that we've had as an industry uh, for local. Yeah, I would just build on that and say, it, but but staying on the general themes of, of trying to move beyond just some of those traditional media metrics like reach and moving towards business outcomes. And the industry has recognized that that is something that our clients expect and something that we should be delivering on. And I think that we've made a lot of progress more to come, but we've, we've certainly done, we've started to do a better job, I should say. I think the focus on, on DEI based off your last question has really taken hold. And it's, as, as we all know, it's embedded in everything that we talk about at Dentsu, but we have to carry that through into the marketplace. And I think that that is something that, that is certainly being addressed and, and still needs to evolve, but will continue and then the focus on measurement, true cross-platform measurement is something that's been talked about forever. It is something that is front and center and a focus. I think that we're making strides with all of the different testing and learning agendas that we have that, that Kara highlighted before. I think there's more to come by the end of this year, certainly. But I think that that renewed energy for those topics is something that, that we have desperately needed. But I think that we should be proud of ourselves that we've at least recognized as an industry that we need to, to push ourselves further. And I mean, with progress comes frustration. So where are areas where you're most frustrated by the lack of progress? I think the lack of progress is still on cross-platform measurement and DEI progress, right? So I think that we've made a lot of progress and I wanna pat ourselves in the back to some capacity in terms of we're focusing on it as we should, but we're not where we should be. And sometimes as an industry, we kind of drag our feet until we have all of the perfect answers. And sometimes we need to just say, we need to keep moving this train forward and not, not lose steam. So I don't want to be negative. I want to stay in the positive, but I think that if we take our foot off that accelerator, then we will all lose. So we just need to, to continue to focus on, on those areas. But sometimes you can be frustrated by too many questions standing in the way of progress. I was just going to say, I really agree with Dave's comment about sometimes, you know, we get kind of in our own way. And I, I applaud all the teams who ask all the questions and I applaud 
the clients who ask those questions, or I applaud just us thinking about those questions. And they'll all allow us to learn. But when we go into things, we won't have all the answers. And if we think we're going to have all the answers when we go into something new that's happening in the media market, we're never going to get it done. It's just we are going to delay ourselves and hold ourselves back. And I, I don't want to say we're just doing things to do things, but we have to start doing them to learn because the questions actually can't get answered until we start doing them. And I think sometimes we really hold ourselves back. Um, had a couple of questions from team members on Friday about that. And I was like, no, we just need to like go this way. But I would say one of my biggest frustrations, and I, and I talk about this one a lot, is it goes along with you know cross-platform measurement probably, but is really the frequency and connect to TV. You know, I get frustrated as a consumer, as somebody who works in this business and loves ads about the ads that I see, because I see the same repetitive ads if I go on like a mission to watch shows repeatedly for a few hours, you know, on a weekend or something like that. So I think that we really truly need to figure out frequency capping because every single connected TV provider is not on the same system. And in order to basically do frequency capping and allow for frequency capping, you either have to be on the same system or we have to figure out like a universal ID. And I think there was somebody that was working on that and then hit a little bit of a stopgap. So that does need to be a solve. Yeah, I would just say my frustration all along, I mean, measurement number one, for sure, at a local level, it's very challenging because of the scale. And then the second is, you know, we're activating across 210 different markets and hundreds of different ownership groups, and we need automation in order to do all of these fantastic things that we want to be doing, we need better platforms. We need more modern platforms. We need more connected platforms. And, you know, we are starting to see progress and change is happening. It's just, I would have loved it to happen so much faster because we need it to go where all of our visions are. If we don't have the technology to help us just fundamentally deliver it, you know, it's going to be very painful to execute. So, for me, it's just automation technology. It has to continue to move at a very rapid clip. So a little outside of Upfronts itself, but what are you telling CMOs today regarding shifting dollars in innovative areas? Well, I, I'll just jump in. I think it's exactly along the lines of what Karen and I were just saying, that you have to be ready to take some sort of calculated risk, right? So you want to be aggressive yet responsible and don't wait for all of the perfect storm of answers to come up because then it seems that you're just making excuses to not try things differently. So some of the innovative opportunities out there are not fully set in stone and you have to be able to, to, to dip your toe in that water to also affect the change. So if you're not participating in some of the new opportunities, then you can also drive some of the outcomes of where those opportunities take us. If you just wait for other people to, to set the ground, then you just have to, to follow the lead of the, the path that they've set forth. So I think as long as we can try to earmark and, you know, you always hear the, you know, 70, 20, 10 rule or however you want to differentiate what exactly, what level of budget are you ready to be flexible and innovative with? But I think that we need to counsel our partners that we don't just do things for the sake of doing them, that when we bring together and uh, bring forth an opportunity, we might know ex not know exactly where the outcome is going to take us, but, but trust that we're not just going to do something that is detrimental to their, their investment decisions. So part of the Road to Upfront series when you kicked off was around key trends across the landscape. One of those trends, interestingly enough, was gaming. 
where are you seeing that fit into the world of investment? Jen and Dave thought I had 10 heads when I asked them to include that one. (laughs) I'm just kidding. But I mean, listen, I think we are currently, you know, working with a couple clients in terms of gaming. And I think that overall, gaming is going to be a big part of the future. And we have just been asked in the few questions before, how do we talk to CMOs? What are we thinking about? Why do we need to test? Gaming is one of those areas where I truly think there's passionate, loyal fans that like to view content, content that is king, and we need to be in the right place at the right time speaking to them. They're also younger. They're, they are older, as, as I think Jesse presented in our one presentation, but for the most part, they're younger. And while in a lot of cases we are talking to 25 to 54 audiences, we need to be talking and getting into those 18 to 24-year-olds because we need to start talking to them about our brands early so that they can be loyal when they are older. And if we are not speaking to them in places that they actually are passionate about, like gaming, then we're missing a mark. And so I think we need to be innovative and ahead of it. And that's basically why I included it and wanted it included as a top trend. So in the spirit of looking forward, what does the future TV buyer look like? What skill sets need to be improved? What are you seeing with some of the up and coming careers in TV? Well, first, you can't call them TV buyers. They're video buyers. Just kidding. Uh, but not really kidding. Uh, <laughs> no, you can, you can do that. I'll allow it. I'll allow yeah, okay, good. I'll well, see. So I'm already correcting that. So the, the future, as we've already established, are definitely, they're video. They're not focused on TV. They're not as focused on their particular silos. They're ready to have their hands on keys and actually transact in a programmatic fashion. So the future looks bright and bigger than, than some of the world that they've currently lived in. I think Dave's absolutely right. Like it has to be somebody that is agile, collaborative, willing to try something new, not afraid of trying new things, getting their hands on keyboards, getting into platforms. Um, you know, it's it's definitely going to have to be more open-minded because it is a whole new world that's out there and it, the possibilities are endless of what we're about to create. So to have somebody that is like pro-change and a change agent to help lead and guide is going to be great. I give props to the two of them. They both actually trained their whole team to be, you know, hands on keys. And while they might not be there yet, actually doing it in totality across every single client, because we're working out that matrix. That's, I think, how we have to think is forward thinking. It's we can't train them the day we want to actually turn on a campaign. So we had to pre-train. And now we're when we're ready, their teams are trained and ready to go. So in the spirit of upfronts, let's hedge a bet after you see the upfronts and finish a sentence. 2022 will be the year of? Testing and learning. Measurement. You took mine. Sorry. Gaming. Gaming, I love it. Metaverse. Thank you for not putting the in front of metaverse. For some reason now, I've been reading too much about metaverse. It's The is not supposed to be there. Yes. Anyways, that's a fun fact for our listeners. You're welcome. (laughs) What's the one thing you would advise brands right now to ensure a successful upfront? Uh, A challenging one. I would say patience and and thinking differently. I say patience because the upfront is always such a hyper frenetic time of year because it's just how it's historically been done. There's a lot happening in a short amount of time. However, 
while we always want to act with a sense of urgency, it has to be that purposeful urgency. And, and we still need to recognize that we need the patients to make the right decisions. And we will, and we have. And, and we have done this for a while, so we know what to expect to some capacity, but we have to be ready to, to think differently, try new things, and, and not get stuck in the historical way of doing something and be ready to explore opportunity and embrace it. So that is one of the things that we've been talking to our internal teams, to our external teams, as much as we can. I would say be adaptable to change. Jen, anything? No, I think for us, what's just interesting about the upfront is us just having conversations with our planning teams and our client teams to think differently, to see if they'd be willing to move their money forward and let us make some endeavors. So we have a little bit of some change that we have to do over there as well. All right. Last but not least, the lightning round, which never seems to be a lightning round, but we will try. What are you most excited for in this year's upfronts? To be in person. I was going to say the same thing, to basically be in person. Me too. Best piece of content recently consumed? I watched The Adam Project on uh, Netflix this week with Ryan Reynolds, and it was awesome. I highly recommend it. For me, it's Ozarks. It came out a little while ago, the, the first part of the, but I'm just finishing it now, and it's definitely my favorite piece of content I'm watching. Very mad that we need to wait for the second half of that season. <laughs> Mine would be Made, The Made. All are great. All great. All-time favorite song or band? Do you want it? A song that you like to sing via karaoke or just a song in general? <laughs> you seem <laughs> to have both. Different. You seem to have both. You want to just tell us both of those? <laughs> well, I love anything Dave Matthews. If anybody knows me, he puts me in a good mood, makes me smile. So I turn him on most often. And I did not sing this song at the offsite. And my husband was completely shocked, but it is my go-to karaoke song. And that would be Push It by Saul and Peppa. <laughs> Incredible. I can't believe you didn't do it at the offsite. If any of you listening could see behind me, you would see the Morrison Hotel poster I have. So The Doors is my favorite band. And mine would be Anything by You Too. Love You Too. Favorite TV show? Mine is The Curse of Oak Island. I'm going to just watch that show when they never find anything. I'm like their most devoted fan. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. Uh, Michael all makes fun of me every time I say it, but Grey's Anatomy. But my all-time favorite show would be Breaking Bad. If we had to go series, it would be Band of Brothers, I think, but uh, actual TV show would be Breaking Bad. If anyone wants to know, mine's New Girl, just because she sings throughout her whole entire life, and I, I do <laughs> that mostly. Not in front of anyone, besides my husband and dog, but they can. Do you get to sing Push It? by <laughs> <laughs> I might now. I might after this. It's a really good karaoke song. <laughs> All right, really fast. Favorite day of the week? Friday. 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 Still, I, I can't tell the difference between a Monday or a Friday anymore from the pandemic, but we'll get there. Least favorite investment jargon word? Procurement. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> Let's leave it at that. Amazing. Yeah, I don't even think anyone could top that one. Thing people should know about you, but they don't. I'm shorter in person than I am on Teams calls. No, I'm an open book. You didn't pick up a weird hobby like during the pandemic? I actually have a claim to pan for gold. So along with my Oak Island metal detector that I got for Christmas two years ago, this one I got 
a whole gold panning kit because I also, my second favorite show is Gold Rush. And um, I like to pay for gold. So I have a claim in the North Georgia mountains and I'll let you guys know when I strike it rich and I call in rich one day. This might be the best. Unbelievable ever. I mean, I, I can't. Unbelievable answer. I can't. No one has told me they had a claim. <laughs> That's amazing. Okay. Love it. I have an obsession with sneakers. Watch. A certain brand? No. Just like I like to buy sneakers. I mean, I have a shoe obsession, but I, I really love sneakers and I happen to like stare at people that have sneakers and I'm like, I'm jealous. I want to buy those right now, but I would be poor if I really did buy them all. So. <laughs> all right, Dave, you're last. Uh, I like gardening. I don't know how to do it and I'm terrible at it, but I like it. <laughs> okay. These, these were probably the best I've seen. Thank you. Thank you for entertaining this one. Well, I cannot thank you enough for joining the podcast. You've all been great and we look forward to having you back on. Thanks for having us. Loved it. Thanks everybody for listening to another episode of The Human Element. You can find us anywhere you can find your pods. Subscribe, give us a like, send us a note. We'll be back out to you real soon. And in the meantime, be well.